Welcome to Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. I'm Dave Ellingson, adventurer, author, educator, and seeker of wisdom. This episode of our series, Life Journeys, features uh, a former student, a friend, and a pastor, Casey Tinnen. I was looking, Casey, on, on your, uh, your bio, and, and there were some things in there I thought I just would quickly add, and you can tell us more about. Uh, you mentioned how, in addition to being pastor uh, of a congregation in California, you also taught English in Bangalore, India. You have ministered to and with uh, AIDS patients. Um, you, you love to get out and talk with young people and, and be involved in your community as a community organizer. Um, it is great to have you uh, on my Life Journeys podcast. Welcome. It is so good to be with you, Dave Ellingson. It really is. Uh, I I just love this opportunity to be with you. Thank you. Well, let's start uh, and just kind of tell people about your your life journey. I mean, uh, some of the twists and turns, some of the detours, some of the you know mentors, etc. Kind of give people a general framework of of your life journey and 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 how that's brought you to where you are today. Sure. So. Um, there's a lot there, right? But uh, again, thank you for having me, and it's good to be with you. I saw you and Sue Hogeman here and felt a little envy, so I'm glad that uh, that you shared uh, your spotlight with me. So thank you. I um, again, my name is Pastor Casey Tinnen. I am the pastor of Loomis Basin Congregational Church, United Church of Christ. Um, I am the founder of The Landing Spot, which is a support group for LGBT teenagers in Placer County. So Dave, I don't know if you know anything about Placer County, but it's a very conservative uh, county in Northern California. Um, Donald Trump's best friend, Tom McClintock, is, uh, is their, my congregation's you know, representative. And so we spend a lot of time um, navigating what it means to be a progressive Christian community in the midst of, very, of a very conservative space. So... Um, Holding space for queer kids is really important. Um, I am also uh, the co-host of Irenacast, which is the podcast, which is a progressive Christian podcast, um, which has been pretty amazing. So I was, I grew up not far from here, about an hour and a half into the Central Valley of a farming community. Uh, my grandpa was the mayor of the city I grew up in and um, was uh, chief of police also. And so there was a lot of expectation about how we presented in the world, how we were to behave in the world. Um, and so um, I am also gay. And by the time I learned that language, I had uh, no place that I could share that, really. Um, there was no safe space. Um, conservative community, conservative church. I grew up in the Lutheran church. Uh, the AALC, American Association of Lutheran Churches, which I often joke is like, you know, the libertarian version of the LCMS. Um, and so where, where was I to go? 
I didn't want to embarrass my family. And, and also I had um, sort of joined the evangelicals. So I was spending a lot of time at my local church, but also I was preaching two or three nights a week, uh, whether that be at my Christian club or, um, or, you know, at these evangelical churches. And the only thing I ever wanted to be was a pastor. And you know this about me, actually. Um, I came to Trinity Lutheran College uh, fired up and ready to go because, it, because I came there with a purpose. I knew that all I ever wanted to do was be a pastor. Like my parents recall me at like three years old, um, standing on a stump around a campfire, preaching to them. And my parents weren't the church people, actually. It was my grandparents. My grandparents were the ones who picked me up on Sunday mornings, took me to Sunday school. I sat with them in the pews. Um, and so my parents were quite impressed that this little person knew what he wanted to do. And, and that never wavered for me. Um, I'm sort of a goal-oriented person. So, for example, you know, in eighth grade, my uh, English teacher wanted us to pick a college and and research it and you know just as a, as a project and that's where i found lutheran bible institute or trinity lutheran college and again never wavered from where i wanted to go and what i wanted to do and so by the time i arrived at trinity lutheran college as you walked into the old campus with that big sign that said jesus only um I don't know if you remember that little plaque, but I do. I certainly do. Um, there was a sense that there were some people that would receive me, Dave Ellingson, and welcome me as I started that journey, and there were others who wouldn't. And, and, um, and that, those are some painful, those scars still live there, right? Um, of those voices, um, they're rough. But uh, that didn't stop me. I, I continued to push on. My senior year, I received a phone call from the presiding pastor of the AALC asking me if I was coming to seminary, and I said I wasn't because there was this crazy professor named Dave Ellingson who told me about a, a seminary called PLTS, and, uh, and so I went to PLTS, and he was not pleased, which was fine with me, whatever. PLTS, for those who are not familiar with the alphabet soup, is... Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary. That's right. So I still had in my mind, because I grew up Lutheran, you know, that's, th those are my roots, um, that, I, that I should join the ELCA. That was sort of where I wanted, you know, that was, that was the initial plan. But I came to PLTS the summer after they started openly ordaining LGBT people. So Jeff Johnson, there are other queer folks who had been ordained for a very long time. But but that the 2009 decision, you know, when people talk about 2009, I love that. Uh, I showed up right after that had happened. And it was pretty clear to me that they were still not ready to have a queer person in their midst. Um, and I had done so much work at Trinity, being the first student that I know of to come out and graduate. There were many who had come out and left or many who had come out and after they graduated, but there were very few who came out and stayed. Um, so I was done doing that fighting stuff. I didn't want to be like the guinea pig or ask, answer all the questions. And I found myself at um, taking a lot of classes at the UCC seminary down the hill, um, Pacific School of Religion. And I went to a revival, Dave. Have you ever been to a revival? 
I like have a, been to a revival. There are okay. all different kinds, but but maybe not like yours. So I grew up, you know, going to the Pentecostal churches. Ah. Uh, in fact, every every New Year's during my high school years, I spent up praying at some church, you know, for the return of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what we did. You just went to a revival and you prayed to God that you know Jesus come back or some craziness. Anyway, so I'm I'm at. I'm at PSR, I'm walking out, and there's a sign, Dave, that says, Revival. And I thought to myself, what do liberal Christians know about a revival? Mm. And so I, I show up there, and I hide in the back in case it sucked, because I was getting out of there, you know? The moment they considered, like, um, you know, lift high the cross as their revival song, I was ready to walk out, you know? But it wasn't like that. There was a, a pastor named uh, Yvette Flunder. Do you know Bishop Yvette Flunder, Dave Ellingson? I do not know. You should write her name down. She okay. is a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, African-American woman, preacher in the United Church of Christ, but she was a Baptist, or she was a gospel singer. Sorry, she was a gospel singer in the 80s. And when she came out, she lost everything. And she joined the United Church of Christ and served um, as a pastor to uh, mostly trans women of color in the mission uh, for uh, much of her early part of her ministry, basically walking them to their deathbeds uh, because they were dying of AIDS. And she preached this amazing, progressive, Pentecostal message um, that by the end, you know, and the message was, there have been people who have tried to rob you of God's calling in your life. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to come down and receive this, this, this acceptance, this welcome. And I'm like, is this lady really giving an altar call? Like (laughs) with this progressive message of healing, not salvation, not, you know, you're going to rot in hell. uh, So come get saved. Um, But, but healing and assurance. So I stand up and I look around, Dave, and the only people standing are all the students in my queer theology class. (laughs) And something in me um, says, you have found your home. Because these people understand what it has been like for a lifetime to have people doubt you to second guess your ministry. And so, uh, and so in that moment, it was, if she can be here, this is where I want to be. And so I switched seminaries and joined the UCC and um, did my internship in Modesto, which is, you know, close to uh, my hometown. And I, uh, I was doing community organizing there, um, doing mass incarceration and immigration uh, justice stuff with an organization called PICO, which is a faith-based community organization. Um, so I, I was definitely a, well, a, a much-needed person as a, someone who had you know, uh, uh, a master's in theology. So by this point, I had a master's in theology, and, and I was working on my master's in divinity. And so um, I did that for quite a while, got through my internship in Modesto, met my partner um, along the way, and then we decided to, uh, move. so here's the thing in life. Here's a, here's a life lesson for you, Dave. Um, sometimes we continue to go in circles and do things over and over again, and that makes us 
crazy, right? Um, but sometimes in life, I think we need to go through those moments so that we can be assured that we can be done and move on. You know, um, we can actually dust the uh, dust our feet off and move on. And so I, um, I needed a job, you know, the internship in, in the church was not paying me anything. And as I'm sure, you know, community organizing doesn't pay you much. And I found a job, um, serving a church, a, a Lutheran church doing youth ministry, um, in Placer County. And so I took the position. I knew I was overqualified and they were certainly going to underpay me, but I, but I wanted to be doing full-time ministry because all I ever wanted to be was a pastor. And I was tired of, you know, sort of like parching my life together, you know, a hundred dollars here, $300 there. Um, and so to get into this full-time gig, it felt like the right thing to do. And so um, I, they hired me and upon my ar arrival, half the church left. Uh, because they hired an out gay man. Um, but what happened in that time was, A, 30 queer kids from up the hill at the high school started showing up at church. Wow. Not because they were religious kids, but because they did not know one other queer adult, especially a pastor who they could ask all the questions to that, um, that they needed answered. And so I stayed in that congregation for three and a half years. I, you want to talk about a resurrection story of a congregation who was so sure that they would have to close their doors, turning, turning themselves around and being clear about their message and who they wanted to be in this community. Um, it was amazing. And so after that, I uh, took a call as the solo pastor of my, my church in Loomis. And upon my arrival there, I asked them to support me creating a support group for LGBT teenagers and their adult caregivers in our community because there's nothing for our kids here. And growing up in silence and with religious violence um, for so long, um, what I know I didn't have is what I hope to be for others and what I, why I'm raising up uh, a leaders so that these young people know that there's a safe place know that there are adults who will answer the hard questions and it will allow them to have an adolescence because for many of us, we didn't, we didn't be, we didn't get to be teenagers until we were in our mid twenties, you know? And so we're trying to, and really um, that, that just creates unhealthy adults, quite frankly. I mean, there's statistics and science to prove that. Um, so creating a space for young people to grow and thrive is what we're hoping to do. And so that's sort of been my journey. I've been at Loomis UCC almost four years now. Um, we have tripled in size. We are uh, doing amazing justice work in our community. And, um, and it's certainly been a journey. But, you know, I wouldn't change any of it, actually. Mm. Not for a moment. Um, yeah. Casey, it's, it's really, it's wonderful to hear more of those details and to uh, see and hear the ways you've brought together some very um, often seemingly disparate or contradictory kinds of things. I mean, clearly you would call yourself an evangelical, right? 
And yet in this day and age, the word evangelical often takes on a very different meaning. Clearly you are a person uh, from the GLBTQ community who has embraced your God-given identity and, and who you are. You've, you've woven together some things. Now, along the way, I'm sure there were some really big challenges. I mean, I remember some at the college and you're coming into my office and we shed some tears together. And, but, but once you got out there and began working in a church and in the community, what, what have been the challenges you've faced uh, uh, along the way? Yeah, um, so certainly being a queer pastor uh, still is not uh, um, people's favorite thing. Um, I was joking that, well, you know, we still have a few months left, but this is the first year since I've been in ordained ministry that I have not had a death threat. Um, um, but I have, um, especially after Trump was elected, I've had people, you know, threaten to light me on fire, threaten to hang me from trees, um, one, you know, threaten to show up at my home. So um, those are certainly uncomfortable situations. I, I have been cornered in the grocery store um, with my partner present. Um, and so, but fortunately, um, or unfortunately, because we have to do this, we have made exit strategies like we have a plan um, in case of violence. Um, but I think it, what is so important to me, Dave, is, you know, as, a, as, a, as the young person that you met me as, um, there was a lot of grief and pain about being, being in an institution that could not see me. Um, and to have my advisor tell me I would never be a pastor. <laughs> um, those voices for a long time reigned in my head. And, and I second-guessed myself so often, even in the start of my ministry. Um, but what that taught me, Dave, is how to be in the world and how to, to take the hard path. So n- coming to the, the, the first church that I was at here, up here, and having those people leave, people would say, why are you so gracious? How come you're not, you know, why are you not leaving? And I could say, because I've done this. And I know what happens to a community um, in the growing pains, because the Trinity Lutheran College that I left was not the one I arrived at. And the college that I left, I wish I could have stayed at. Um, by the time I graduated Trinity, I mean, I grieve that Trinity is no longer around because um, that, was the, that was the place I wanted to be. You know, I remember like when you invited me in to help interview the first Act 6 kids, you know, those were the students that I wanted to hang out with because those were all of my friends back home. I, uh, meeting all these kids from the Midwest was like a foreign experience to me. They were so different than, than myself and the kids that I grew up with. Um, and I want to believe that a part of Trinity's change was my willingness to not leave, to be bold enough to stay. And so that's my commitment to where I am currently um, is to stay to be here long-term. Um, Ron Vignac, Pastor Ron Vignac from Tacoma, um, he was a huge influence on me and in saying, I am not the pastor of a church. I am the pastor of a community. And so I see myself in that way. I am the big gay pastor of Placer County. I was Sacramento's grand marshal for their pride parade last year uh, with the most votes ever received by, by a grand marshal of 4,000. Um, 
and that's because of the work that I'm doing and, and the ability to stay in the hard places. You know, um, I, and I think that that, so what has come to life in me, again, is that evangelical piece. That, that piece that says um, people are dying, their souls are on the line, but it's not for the reasons that you all, you know, you crazy Christians think. It's because, because you are killing them. It is the shame that you, the sin, uh, the sin isn't queer people. The sin is shaming them into closets where mold grows. Mm -hmm. Closets are for clothes and not for people. And we, and you know, uh, sorry to get preachy here, but you know, when we, when we, when we think about Jesus, who's always calling people out of things, Mm -hmm. out of tombs, out of sickness, come to life, come to life. Life doesn't happen in closets. And so um, I feel like for me, working in this community and the stories that I hear, you know, from, from young people who listen to my podcast literally in their closets. Mm. For the young people who, you know, we used to have landing spot at my church because kids could t- lie to their parents and say, I'm going to youth group, I'm going to church. It wasn't necessarily a lie. They were going to a youth group and it was held at a church. Mm-hmm. Um, we, have, we have tried to create basically like these queer underground railroads here mm-hmm. in Placer County for kids to find access to the help they need because otherwise they're in trouble. It, it sounds like really in many ways you are redefining church. You're def- redefining the faith or, or maybe returning to what Jesus was really talking about and we've sort of lost sight of. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's, that's the only invitation that I offer. Mm. Come and receive life, you know? Okay. Um, because this is the one you get, honey. This is it. This is all you get. And so what does it mean to live fully into this life? It means being seen and known for all of who you are and celebrated for that. Part of that redefining, Casey, you talk about community organizing. And I know that's something that I sort of have intuitively done my whole ministry and, and now is in many ways taught and, and become a way that pastors um, and churches do ministry. Um, I think it, when I read some of your bio information, you mentioned being a, a 21st century pastor. And it seems to me that a big part of that is if, if they, if they ain't coming, <laughs> you go find they them, did for a long time, you've got to go out and you are out and about talk a little bit about um, what is that, that being out in the community, being a community organizer, that, maybe redefining church. Describe examples maybe of that and how sure, you're of course. up to that work uh, where you live and serve. So I, I often tell people that, that organizing prepared me more to be a pastor than seminary ever did. <laughs> because, for, because organizing is actually about being present with the people. Here, keeping your pulse on the pain of a community and the joys, but most certainly the pain. Where, where and, and mobilizing that energy right? And so what that means for me is uh, I spend time, you know, uh, with these ladies, these old, older lesbian ladies, 
who have been protesting outside of Tom McClintock's office every Tuesday since 2008. So it means spending time out there with the community, showing up with signs, knocking on old Tommy's door when we need to. Um, it means uh, working with the Latino Leadership uh, Council here in Placer County and finding ways to organize with them. And one of the biggest uh, blessings of my ministry in the last six months, Dave, is um, sitting down with them to talk about housing because Latinos are being discriminated against uh, for housing here in Placer County. And it's hard for them to find housing, especially if they are undocumented. It's also hard for queer people to find housing in this community, especially trans women, uh, trans women of color, um, who are often discriminated against. Um, there is no emergency housing for uh, queer teens who you know, may have to flee abusive situations. And this was a, a space in which we could, we could hold tension together um, and, and begin to think about how we might organize together. And when we began to talk, what I began to realize is of the four teenagers that I've had to find housing for due to their families throwing them out, all four have been Latino families. So what that told me was there is a need for education and there is a need for a pastor to answer questions for a community who, who has no resources. And so we have started a, uh, a Spanish-speaking only parent group um, every third Monday for Latino parents to answer or to ask the hard questions and to learn how to support their child. It sounds like, like if there's a, a theological word that, that I'm hearing woven throughout all you're saying is the word compassion. It's, yeah. it's being with people, it's suffering with them uh, and sharing their joy as well. And, and when you're out in the community and you're listening and and, uh, and, and many ways, when Henry Nouwen talks about the wounded healer, you know, you, you know the wound in your own life and, and, and that helps to connect you with the wounds and the pain in your community and 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 so in many ways that's feels to me like that's at the heart of what you're talking about it definitely is um i think that that's most of what our faith is built on is people um we could spend all day in fact i remember many times in class uh especially when jeff mallinson arrived and we were taking we were doing philosophical theology there were just a handful of us in that first class and people would laugh at me because if it didn't matter in the real world, if I couldn't communicate this um, to like say my, my sister or brother, or if this had no impact on how we could use this language to change somebody's life, it was, it was meaningless to me, worthless. And my peers would make fun of me. You didn't, you didn't think to remember that? No, because it didn't matter to real people's lives. <laughs> and I think that that is so true for our faith today. I think that that is why we are seeing a major shift uh, in Christianity right now. Um, because what is happening now is what happened, I think, when you were a young person, Dave. I remember my grandma, my grandma has said to me, I stopped going to church in the 60s because, you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And when I went to church, all my pastor could do is say, pay no attention or, or do not, do not participate or, 
this isn't real. And I think we are in that same moment where we are seeing all over. And, and what changed was technology. People could see on TV um, uh, African-Americans fighting for their rights, you know, the dogs and the water hoses, and people were compelled to shift in their thinking. And I think that we are at the new technology epicenter, right? And we are, in, and we are seeing and hearing um, from people directly. We, you can YouTube anything these days, you know? And so people are looking to their churches to help them make sense, to help them um, form meaning, because that's what church is meant to do. And when you have clergy who refuse to talk about the issues, who refuse to say that Black Lives Matter, we are doing a disservice to our congregants. And people will walk away from that. We'll walk away from entire institutions. I don't know if you know who, or I'm sure you do, uh, Lenny Duncan, you know? Um, he just laid out a whole thing about um, reparations and the need for um, the Lutheran Church, and I would say the UCC, all Protestant mainline churches. We have a responsibility to, to, to change and dismantle the system that has, has supported us for a very long time. And the, and, and the only way the church moves forward and survives if, if they are willing to take on a compassionate ear and understand that even though they may not experience these things does not mean that they are not real. Well, in this time of pandemic, obviously we all have been uh, close to home and not getting out as much as, as we have in the past. And yet, as you say, electronically, whether it's YouTube or podcasting or whatever, I mean, I have to fill my time, but also to reach out. My podcast has been out there. You have a podcast. Why don't you describe your podcast so folks can, can stay in touch with you and, and get some of that wisdom? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, you're going to hear it here first. I am actually getting ready to start my own personal podcast within the next month um, called The Queerly Faithful Pastor. So uh, hopefully you can uh, start Googling that and at some point you'll, you'll see a podcast there. But the, the podcast I currently co-host on is called Irenicast, which Irenic is to be peaceful. Um, and there are five co-hosts. We are all progressive pastors. We all come from an evangelical background. Um, and this podcast is meant to help, um, help people on the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction. Um, because for many of us, including myself, um, I had to let go a lot of my faith um, so that I might pick it up again. Um, I had to set aside the teachings um, and the messages from pastors who far who knew no different or who intentionally were hurtful. Um, and then I had to pick that faith back up. And so this podcast um, hopefully helps people to feel less alone on that journey. Um, tips and tricks sometimes, um, and, but mostly connection stories between colleagues. Um, lots of fun. We always do a segment at the end, which is a game um, to keep, keep it light towards the end. Um, but it is, it is a great podcast. Uh, we try to um, offer different perspectives. So it's me and my colleague, Bonnie, and her husband, Rajiv, um, and then Alan and Jeff. And we are all ministers. We all have a history in ministry. Um, and, you know, 
I think it's pretty, I think it's a great podcast. I think it's a great resource for churches. I think it's a great resource for pastors who are um, receiving lots of uh, evangelicals and ex-fundamentalists who, you know, are fleeing conservative uh, alt-right Christian traditions and they're looking for a new place to be. This could certainly help pastors begin to understand where their new congregants are coming from. But this is the wave that's coming. The name of the podcast again? Irenicast. Okay. How about, I like your idea of a fun ending to, to draw us together at the end of our podcast conversation. Let me give you some words and, and, and just off the top, um, give me a, a, another word or a sentence that comes to mind when you hear these words. Okay, are Got you it. ready? I'm ready. God. Love. The Bible. <laughs> a resource church beloved community hope dave bellingson <laughs> casey hope is in humanity for thank sure you so much for this this conversation you have woven together those words that but that life of god the the Bible, um, church, and and hope with grace. And um, I, I wish you well in your ongoing ministry there and your widening ministry through your podcast. Thank you for taking the time today. And we, we uh, hopefully will be able to be uh, in the same place at some point and, some and point. give those big uh, Casey Tinnon bear hugs. I'd love it. And you know, Dave, what I'm hoping is that at some point we might kayak together because, you know, I've become Dave Ellingson in my, in my, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll, Dave, I have to tell this, you know, I have to say this, that I, and I said this before, but about a year ago, I'm in my keens dragging my kayak into the, into the lake. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I've become Dave Ellingson, you know? And and what a, what a, I was so grateful for that. So thank you for all the ways in which you have um, impacted my life. Well, and I'm grateful for you. God bless you in your ministry. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you in the near future. Absolutely. Until next time, I'm Dave Ellingson. And this has been Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. Tune in to Say What on your mobile device, computer, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And join me next time for my life journey conversation with world-famous epidemiologist and director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota, Dr. Michael Osterholm, as he shares an update on the coronavirus and how he finds hope in a time of pandemic. For more information on my books and films, check out my website, dellingson.com. 
And thanks for listening.